The old pilot's plain tales. Bricksmiths. During the Cold War, suspicion was rife, and any knowledge of the other side's capabilities and equipment was absolutely essential. This produced the need for specialist spy planes, whose job it was to overfly military assets and photograph them for the intelligence boffins to pour over. The pinnacle of these aircraft was probably the SR-71 Blackbird and the U-2 Dragon Lady. whose performance gave them the edge. These stunning aircraft that could reach incredible speeds or unimaginable altitudes were cloaked in secrecy and wrapped in intrigue, enough to spark the interest of anyone who lived through the period and many in the years after. The Soviets too had their specialist aircraft, such as the Tupolev Tu-95MR Bear, the Tu-16R Badger, and the Mayasischev M-17 Mystic. However, the British also had a very special secret spy plane that it used under the strange circumstances that surrounded the agreements drawn up between the Axis forces regarding access to Berlin. With Russia's increasing hostility to the Western zones, the need to organise some mechanism for liaison between the Western and Soviet governments, who had quite recently been allies, had become apparent. In order to continue the flow of seemingly friendly relations between the zones, the British began negotiating with the Soviets, and it was eventually agreed that an exchange of mission groups to patrol the opposing side's zones would be organised. The resulting Robertson-Malinin Agreement came into effect on the 16th of September 1946. The agreement allowed for a small British liaison group named Bricksmiths, short for British Commanders-in-Chief Mission, to move about the Soviet zone of Germany, later known as the German Democratic Republic. The Bricksmiths group soon began to take advantage of the freedom of movement permitted under the Robertson-Malinning Agreement, whilst operating in the Eastern Zone. They set up a headquarters in Potsdam, on the western side of Berlin, and from there they would cross the Glienicke Bridge, the Bridge of Spies, famously used for the exchange of Rudolf Abel, the Soviet spy, for Gary Powers, the U-2 spy plane pilot, who had been shot down flying over Russia. The British Brexmiss troops, dressed in uniform, would drive out across East Germany, hunting out places to observe the Soviet forces and obtain what intelligence they could. Living in their vehicles or camping out, they would set up OPs, observation points, whilst photographing any Soviet military equipment that looked interesting. Berlin lay around a 100 miles inside the Soviet zone of occupation, so any military forces that approached the border would probably have been spotted by these roving observers well before they reached West Germany. 
As such, they helped to keep the status quo. These tours, as they were referred to, weren't without their dangers. Although protected by the Robertson-Malinin Agreement, not all the soldiers or Stasi, the East German State Security Service, were happy seeing the British military poking around and clashes were common. It was quite a regular occurrence for Brexmith vehicles to be rammed and shot at, particularly if they strayed into restricted areas and started photographing with their long lenses. What the Brexmith chaps needed was that very special spy plane to peek into areas that the chaps on the ground had trouble getting near to. Of all the aircraft that conducted clandestine spy missions throughout the Cold War, the Brexmith aircraft was by far the most unlikely. It was the humble de Havilland Chipmunk T-10. For those who may not be familiar, the Chipmunk, or more affectionately named the Chippy, started life in Canada as a replacement for the Tiger Moth biplane. Made by de Havilland Canada soon after the end of the Second World War, it's a very simple ab initio basic trainer. It was made in Toronto, but around a thousand were also produced under licence in the UK by the British manufacturer de Havilland. The Chippy is a two-seat tandem aircraft with a low wing, fixed undercarriage and a tailwheel. Of mainly metal construction, it's aerobatic, has hand-operated flaps and is powered by an inverted Gypsy Major 8 a four-cylinder inline engine. It can reach a maximum speed of around 120 knots and a little over 15,000 feet in altitude, but is more likely to be found at a few thousand feet, puttering along at 90 knots, its cruise speed. Apart from being used as a trainer, it's popular as a tow aircraft for gliders, and some were even converted for crop spraying. So, one wonders, why on earth was it considered suitable for specialist clandestine operations? The Berlin Control Zone was established by the four occupying powers at the end of the war. The BCZ was a transit area for aircraft flying through the three Berlin air corridors, A to the north, B in the centre, and C to the south, which linked West Berlin to the so-called free world. Around Berlin itself was a circular area with a radius of around 20 miles and a ceiling of about 10,000 feet. Aircraft from the west could use these corridors to gain access to Berlin and the surrounding areas. Inconspicuous and unthreatening, the Chippies flew out of RAF Gatow in Berlin, a little to the north of Potsdam and their cover story was that the aircraft were used purely for the training of pilots on the station. However, in reality, for at least 10 days of every month, the aircraft flew missions exclusively for Brixmas. Of course, it would have been possible for every flight to have been a reconnaissance trip, 
but it was common for there to be watchers around the airfield, and on occasions the little chippy was intercepted by Soviet Mi-24 Hind attack helicopters. Had one been forced to land in East Germany and their photographic equipment found, the game would have been up. So those involved took it all very seriously, particularly since the whole thing was classified top secret and there was a great deal of effort put into concealing the purpose of the flights. When a Bricksmith flight was undertaken, an ordinary staff car brought the personnel to Gatow, and they didn't wear their usual identification flashes on their uniform. The camera equipment was hidden, and the aircraft manned while it was still in the hangar to avoid prying eyes. The pilot occupied the rear seat, whilst the photographer sat in the front, usually with a pair of handheld cameras. One was equipped with a medium focal length lens and the other a long lens, such as a 500 or 1000mm lens for close-up work. I speak from experience when I say just how cramped it must have been to cope with two cameras within the confines of that small cockpit. But despite the lack of space and the vibration, the crews did a marvellous job. Another difficulty came with the bitter German winters when, despite wearing several layers of cold-weather flying gear, the low temperatures made frostbite a real possibility. The Soviet forces, on occasion, took exception to being overflown and fired at the little chipmunk. Fortunately, none were brought down, but on at least two occasions, bullet holes were discovered in the aircraft's spinner, and on one of these events, whilst photographing a Soviet BMP armoured personnel carrier, a soldier can actually be seen in a picture firing at the aircraft, something that would have undoubtedly sent shivers down the back when the film was developed. Of course, flying a single-engined aircraft far over East Germany had its risks, and had the trusty Gypsy Major ever let them down, during a forced landing, the crew were briefed to pack everything, cameras, notebooks, exposed film and the like, into a special green bag they carried and drop it into a lake. If no suitable body of water magically appeared, then, after landing, they were to open the fuel tank drain cocks under the wings and set the aircraft on fire, using the survival mini-flares they carried. Despite their best efforts, navigation, just using map and compass, wasn't always accurate, and on occasions the crews did get a bit lost, but there were rarely complaints which perhaps gave credence to the thought that nobody would be stupid enough to use a chippy as a spy plane. However, on one occasion during a foray near a sensitive installation by Kegel, two attack helicopters attempted to force a Brexmess mission down, and the aircraft only escaped by flying between the approaching hinds on a knife edge. The Soviets had a reputation for buzzing Western aircraft that were using the corridors, 
and in one case a Soviet Yak-3 fighter collided with a British European Airways Vickers Viking. During the preceding days before the incident, both British and American aircraft had been subject to close passes by Soviet military aeroplanes, but on this day, the Russian pilot was approaching the Viking from behind. The BEA pilot was in a left turn just prior to starting its approach to Gatow when the Yak-3 dived beneath it and pulled up, clipping the Viking's left wing and tearing it off. The crippled airliner spiralled down, crashing into the Soviet sector, whilst the Yak crashed near a farmhouse in the British sector. All occupants of both aircraft were killed on impact. Both sides blamed the other for the accident, and there were even arguments over allowing access to the two crash sites. Allied investigators later concluded that the collision was caused by the action of the Yak fighter, which was in disregard of the accepted rules of flying. A British-Soviet Commission of Inquiry was set up, but the Soviet representative, Major General Alexandrov, refused to hear evidence from German or American witnesses, claiming that only British and Soviet evidence was relevant, and in any case... Germans were unreliable. So, despite the slightly ridiculous situation of flying operational missions in a little two-seat, single-engine, completely unmodified, prop-driven trainer, the Bricksmith spy missions were undertaken with deadly seriousness, particularly since a navigational error might result in them being shot down. Since many of the intelligence targets were some distance from Gatow and well to the east of East Berlin, the Soviets were not at all happy with these aircraft flying overhead. One of the reasons being that the British were not the only Allied power collecting intelligence from the air. Both the French from Tegel and the Americans from Tempelhof were also flying in the BCZ, but Bricksmith was the only Allied mission that actually had complete control of its own operation, carrying out both the flying and the photography. In the strict terms of the agreement between the forces involved, flights in these areas were only supposed to be for the reinforcement of the garrison and had to originate in West Germany. If flights did not meet this safety requirement, the Soviet controllers in the Combined Control Center felt obliged to stamp the flight request card Safety of Flight Not Guaranteed. I wonder if the airlines flying into Berlin bothered to advise their passengers of this caveat since they had originated in the UK and came under the same threat. The results of these clandestine missions were well worth the efforts. Indeed, they were a hugely valuable source of intelligence at very little cost to the taxpayer. Installations that lay within the scope of the sorties included several major Soviet divisional headquarters, a number of ground ranges, a Soviet reconnaissance base equipped with MiG-25 Foxbat aircraft, 
two helicopter bases and many other important but less prestigious targets. Squadron leader Roy Marsden, who took part in many of these flights, tells us that a normal sortie would start in the local Potsdam area to the west of West Berlin, where there were three major Soviet divisions, the 10th Guards Tank Division, the 35th Motor Rifle Division, and an important frontal asset, the 34th Artillery Division, where they had the disturbing habit of training their guns on the aircraft as we flew around the installation. We would then progress to the rail sidings that served these units and finally fly to their associated training areas. New equipment was discovered, such as the presence of vehicles with anti-infrared detection paint, surface-to-air missile sites, large-scale deployments of vehicles with bridging equipment and the like. The intelligence that these missions discovered helped enormously in building the overall intelligence picture, and over the 35 years that Bricksmith's flights were undertaken, they produced a vast wealth of intelligence material that could not have been obtained in any other way. The British government supported the operation for many years unbeknown to the British public, despite the fact that they knew that any serious incident could have proved politically damaging both domestically and internationally. However, in 1990, following the reunification of Germany, the chipmunks were finally retired and Bricksmiths wound up. However, should you ever visit the Allied Museum at Clay Alley 135 in Berlin, you will find a humble little exhibit, which is the chipmunk Whiskey Gulf 466, flown specially over from RAF Larbrook to Tempelhof to take its place as, perhaps, the world's least impressive spy plane. Plane Tales is a featured segment of the Airline Pilot Guy Show Aviation Podcast. Find us at airlinepilotguy.com.